Thanks for checking out this video. My name's Kiara, and I hope you enjoy this message from Redemption Church. Well, good morning. As we just read, if you have a Bible, you can open it up to James chapter 3 this morning. We're in a series called Becoming Wise. We've defined wisdom this way. Wisdom is the humility to know, discern, and walk the best possible path. Wisdom begins with humility, or as King Solomon wrote, the fear of the Lord, which is in humility submitting to God's authority. Arrogance and humility, well, obviously can't go together. Arrogance and wisdom can't go together. We've also discussed in this series that wisdom is an active thing. We have to go get wisdom. It is not innate. It's something we have to go search for, find, and then receive. Last week, we talked about how in order to be wise, we have to have a, a solid foundation of faith built solely on Christ. So this morning, we're going to kind of combine the first two weeks, and we're going to talk about a wise faith. We're going to look at the words of James, who was the half-brother of Jesus. That'll kind of play in to the story a little bit, understanding the relationship, the familial relationship that James shared with Jesus. This morning, we're going to see three more traits of the wise person. Early on in this series, we're not just talking about what it means to live wise, like what are the uh, Bible wisdom tips that I can apply to my life. We're talking more about what does it mean to become wise so that whatever life might throw at me, I can walk or you can walk in wisdom. We said wisdom is the ability to know and discern and walk the best possible path because all of us want to walk the best path in life. But what do we mean by best? We don't mean quickest. We don't mean easiest. We don't mean shortest path. We don't mean the most glamorous path or the path that leads to our highest prosperity. What we mean by best is the path that is in most submission to the will of God. What we mean by best is being able to pray as Jesus prayed. Not my will, Father, but your will be done. So to walk the best possible path is to be humbled before the Lord in such a way that no matter what life throws at you, you can walk the will of God. And so we've been forming that. And this morning, we'll see three more traits of the person who is wise. Or as James begins, he just asks the question, who is wise and understanding among you? In other words, he's saying, where are the wise people? Who are the wise people? Maybe there's some people in your life that you think of that person, he or she, they are wise. No matter what life throws at them, they seem to know what to do. No matter what question I have, even if they don't have experience in it, they seem to be able to give proper godly advice. That's the wise person. Well, James gives us a few more traits of the wise person here. And so we're going to see three this morning, and we're going to work our way through. And this morning, these traits are not really what the wise person does. We're going to get into that. We're going to transition next week more into living wise uh, through November. But this, again, is still more the inward. Who is the wise person? Well, James tells us first. He says, by his good conduct, the wise person that is, let him show his works in the meekness of 
wisdom. So who is the wise person? The wise person displays good conduct through meekness. Meekness is a word that has lost most of its good meaning. We think often of meekness as weakness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is the exact opposite of weakness. Meekness is actually strength, but strength under control. Meekness is when you have power, position, intelligence, whatever asset that you have that in a situation puts you higher or, or more prepared than somebody else, and instead of using it as a pounding tool, instead of using it to beat someone down, you constrain the strength that you have in the situation. Meekness is the parent or uh, the boss not coming down hard on the child or the employee when they could. Meekness is the sharp-witted person refraining from making the comments. Meekness is not taking the easy shot at someone. Meekness is not lording it over someone when you're in the right and they're in the wrong. Meekness is taking the, the strength that you have, whatever it might be, and instead of using it against someone, holding back. That's meekness. James says the wise person conducts themselves with good works. Now, this word good here uh, is a word that almost means lovely or beautiful. The wise person in meekness acts lovely or beautiful towards others, towards friends, towards acquaintances, towards family, towards enemy, towards strangers. The wise person then is respected by all that is around him or her, because consistently, regardless of the situation, in meekness, acts in lovely ways towards others. This is the first trait that James brings up. Does it sound like you? Acting in that way towards all? Then James switches. He transitions, not to a positive, but more of a negative. He says this, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, notice James here isn't interested in your actions. He's interested right here in what's going on inside. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. The wise person, according to James, has learned how to unroot unwise motivators. Let me say that again. The wise person has learned how to properly unroot unwise motivators in the heart. James identifies two. And the irony shouldn't be lost on us that James, the half-brother of Jesus, talks about bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. My brother was a better golfer than me. My other one was a better basketball player. There was a little bit of jealousy. James' brother was Jesus, okay? He may have known something about bitter jealousy, especially early on. And James writes, Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition is not God's kind of 
wisdom. Let's start with bitter jealousy. Bitter jealousy is the type of jealousy that despises another person so much that you can't want or see anything good for that person. Bitter jealousy is the type of jealousy that will go to all ends to make sure that that person does not succeed or prosper. It's a blinder to wise behavior. It causes us to say things, text things, email things, write things, think things, believe things that we shouldn't, and feel things that are poisonous. Bitter jealousy is why we stay angry longer than we should. It's why every mention of their name riles something up inside of us. One of the roots here uh, for this bitter jealousy, it means to cut off. But what's actually happening here? Bitter jealousy, what does it cut off? It cuts us off from peace, from moving forward, from joy, and it is detrimental to forward spiritual progress. In fact, it stops us from walking the best possible path. Here's what bitter jealousy can do. It can take someone who is firmly rooted in Christ in every other area of life, and it can blind them to normal, wise decision-making. Because of this one jealousy, this one person, this one family member, this one enemy, this one colleague, all of a sudden, we take all that Christ has done inside of us, all of the good that God has done, and it's like thrown out the window because of this one bitter jealousy. Oh, and it can create some very unwise moments. Things that ruin entire lives. The other day, I was trying to log on to a website I needed to do some, we'll just call it professional development. And I'm trying to log on to this one website, and it wouldn't let me log on. It kept giving me an error message. And after like seven minutes of this and me trying anything I know about how to run a computer and work through the internets, I got so frustrated that I took a screenshot and I sent it to Matthew. Uh, he works here. And I was like, Matthew, what is happening? And he said, I have no idea. And I said, you're fired. Figure it out. Okay? We didn't fire him. And this one website, there's a lot of websites, a bunch of them. The one website wouldn't work, and I was ready to take my MacBook and throw it out the window. Ridiculous, right? That's how ridiculous bitter jealousy is. There's seven point however many billion people on the earth. We can get caught up in one person. Bitter jealousy and it destroys. Now, you might say, just go to a different website. Well, I had to go to that website. So the answer wasn't just go to a different website. I actually had to fix the problem, which meant I had to Google how to fix the problem. And so I had to go deep into the you know, internet worlds and figure it out. And I did, and now I can access it. What does that mean for you? It means the solution to the bitter jealousy is not just to avoid the person. You can do that, and it will help, but it won't stop it. Something has to change in the deep place in your heart. Otherwise, it will come back up. 
You have to go deep and you have to deal with it there. And what you can't do is just say, don't be jealous anymore. Don't be bitter anymore. It doesn't work. That's applying the law to your situation. Scripture tells us whenever we apply the law, it only reminds us of death. This bitter jealousy can only be released by the freedom that we have in Christ. It means searching into the gospel. It means going in and seeing Christ's love in a new way so deeply that you can release it. This is the only way to properly deal with it. And it will restore wisdom to your life. Bitter jealousy destroys. We have to go deep in, and we have to let the cross destroy it. In both of these, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, if you're dealing with it, my advice would be go to the Psalms. Psalm 141 is one of my favorites. And just pray through it. And David wrestled with some strong emotion. A lot of it was bitter jealousy or anger. And he shows us in the scriptures how to take it to God. We have to do that. The second one that James mentions is selfish ambition. This term selfish ambition has its etymology in politics. I think I've probably described it well enough already to figure out what it is. Selfish ambition is the type of ambition that in, uh, only looks at every situation as an opportunity to advance you. Selfish ambition is uh, when you blind yourself to normal behavior. You blind yourself to every other person. You blind yourself to common decency just to get what you want. Selfish ambition, or because of selfish ambition, we will hurt people that are close to us. Well, that's okay. I'm, I'm trying to get something done. Because of selfish ambition, we'll be unwise in how long we work, how we work, or where we and when we rest, or what our priorities are. Because of selfish ambition, we will use people instead of serve people. And we'll see people just as a strategy to accomplish a task, not a person to be loved and cared about. Because of selfish ambition, we'll prioritize projects and getting it done over people. Because of selfish ambition, we'll justify unethical behavior for the greater good. And again, somebody who's firmly planted in Christ in other areas of their life will take on this selfish ambition. They'll throw out their godly character just to get it done or just to get to where they want to go. James describes selfish ambition and bitter jealousy like this. They are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Well, those are strong words. And if there's one thing I don't want described about my behavior, it's demonic. That's one I want to avoid. Here's what James is saying. James is saying that when you're rooted in bitter jealousy or selfish ambition, that from the heart, you're operating more out of Satan's character than you are Jesus's. That has to be rooted out. And the wise person has learned how to unroot 
these motivators. What do they produce? James gets to it at the end. He says they produce havoc. Every evil disorder or vile thing and and disorderly. What's he saying there? He's saying the proof is in the pudding. In other words, if your life is disorderly, if your life is constantly at, at strife, you might be right, but you aren't as wise as you think. We have to take these things to the cross. We have to look in and see Jesus' behavior toward us and let it change. Let it change us. We have to see how Christ laid down all of his ambition. We have to see how Christ had every right to be bitter towards us. This sounds crazy, but I mean, look at Christ. Couldn't he not have been jealous? We got to wear his righteousness, and he took on our defilement. And he did it for us. We unroot these things, and wisdom returns. Then when wisdom returns, what does it look like? Well, James tells us this. He says, but the wisdom from above, that's the good kind, is first, or most importantly, pure. Then... It's peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and it's sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So first, the wise person through meekness does good works. Secondly, the wise person knows how to unroot unwise motivators. And thirdly, the wise person produces peace. Or there's peace surrounding them in their lives. Now, I can't walk through all of the listing uh, of the wisdom from above here because uh, we'd have to get too nuanced, too into some of these. So we're just going to look at the first three in detail, but let's look at the latter four um, quickly. Open to reason. Can you see both sides? Full of mercy and good fruits. What that means is able to show and extend grace even when the other person is clearly in the wrong and still be good to them. Impartial and sincere. That's the good wisdom. And it produces peace in our lives. Now let's look at the other, though, the other three in a little bit more detail. But the wisdom from above or the the non demonic wisdom, wisdom from a heart of Christ. But the wisdom from above is first, or most importantly, it is pure. Hagne is the Greek word. And the word here indicates a spiritual transformation. This is the digging deep that we talked about last week. It is doing the hard spiritual work of applying the gospel to every area of your life and allowing the rough edges to be worked out. Now, this type of purity of heart is not just found in observing the law. The way to get this type of purity is not to say, I'm never going to let anything bad in and I'm perfectly going to follow God's law. 
If that is your motivation and your way of thinking, scripture and history tells us you will fail. Only one person lived up to the law, Jesus. And he lived up to the law because he knew that we couldn't. Jesus perfectly lived up to the law to set us free from it. So don't try to go get purity by perfectly living up to the law. It's a fool's errand. So what is this purity? It's the freedom of Christ. This purity is the Holy Spirit coming in and he being the one who directs and guides. It's your conscience through the Holy Spirit convicting you. What does this purity look like? It's like if somebody were able to look in at you and not just see your actions, but see your heart and say, that's a godly person. Now, that can't happen, but he sees. You know what else this purity is not? This purity is not self-righteousness. It's not you putting your rules or regulations that you've created for yourself and putting them on other people. It's not you getting to tell people what they get to watch or what they get to do or how they get to act. Paul dealt with this in Colossians. There are people trying to tell them, you can't do this, you can't go to that party, you can't do this. And Paul looks at them and goes, don't let anyone do that to you. That's not their job. That's why you have the Holy Spirit. So it's not self-righteousness. No, this purity of heart is the Holy Spirit guiding us as followers of Christ. Now, some of you say, that seems too vague to me. What does that look like? The other day, we had a meeting and uh, with some of our team. We're actually planning Christmas. It's going to be awesome. Be there. And we're talking about Christmas. And then afterwards, I woke up the next morning, and I was in Psalms, and I was kind of reading and praying. And, and I just felt some conviction of some things that I had said and some places I had let the conversation go during the night with our team and all of that. And I thought, man, I'm the leader. And if I don't say anything, then, you know, then I'm letting this behavior go on. And so I just sent a text out to everybody who was there. And I said, I want to apologize for this, this, and this. That's what this looks like. It looks like when the Holy Spirit plants something on your conscience, you respond. And you take care of it. And you move to purity. You say, well, I never sensed the Holy Spirit. I never sensed the conscience. I never sensed that. That's a problem. Because you are not perfect. And if you've, if you've lost that, you should ask for it back. That's good for us. It's good for us. So that's what this purity looks like. Do you have this purity in heart right now? Is there something threatening it? A sinful pattern? A way of thinking? This bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, is it, is it threatening the purity of heart? Wisdom starts, he says here, starts with a pure heart. The things he lists next come out of a pure heart. So what does he say comes out of a pure heart? He says the next thing that comes out of a pure heart is the wisdom or the wise person is peaceable. Peaceable. Now, this is not in, like a passive word. This is an active word. The peaceable person preserves peace where it exists and produces peace where it doesn't. 
namely through two activities. And this is the, 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 the original context of the word indicates these two activities. One of them is reconciling relationships through difficult conversation. The second one is breaking through false assumptions by proper fact-finding. A wise person does this. A wise person knows how to restore broken relationships through difficult conversation. They can do this because they're operating out of a pure heart, because they've already laid down bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Have you ever tried to have a restorative conversation, but you're still plagued by your bitter jealousy? Very difficult. But if you can arrive at the place of the pure heart, then you can operate out of that pure heart in the conversation. Now, this might be a conversation for just you and somebody else. It might be a conversation where you're, you're helping mediate. But the wise person knows how to restore what is broken through tough conversation and knows how to wisely work their way through it. The second thing is the wise person knows how to break through lies and um, false, fake I want to say fake news. Goodness. Okay. Knows how to break through what is false and get at the truth. I mean, how often does just bad information destroy things? And the wise person knows, how do we bring the right information? See, part of, part of wisdom is the, the humility to what? To know. Now, we got to discern and walk, but first off, we have to know what we need to know so that we can know what to do. And the wise person knows how to do that. Last week, I overheard somebody saying something, uh, and it was about something in our, one of our ministries. And so I went to that staff member and said, hey, I overheard this the other day. And the staff member and I started like brainstorming how we were going to fix it. And we're like talking, and it like created this massive circle and all this. And I was like, wait a minute. Let's just call them real quick. So I called them real quick, and I was like, hey, I heard this. And they go, oh, yeah. It was over then. I was like, we had just had like a whiteboard full of decisions. But you break through it. Find the proper information. Peace then occurs. I've shared this before. I had an old mentor who used to always say this. A little investigation saves a lot of accusation. Figure out what you need to know prior to making the decision prior to saying what you think you should say. The wise person knows how to do that. This last one then, or at least the last one we get to talk about this morning. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle. Now, this word gentle is not a great translated word. It's a difficult word to translate, and that's why a lot of your translations probably will have a different word in there. For gentle, it's a Greek word, epiekos. And let me just describe the intent of this word to you. Tell me, don't actually tell me. Greg, you might tell me. Everyone else. Can you get an amen for that, Greg? Come on. All right. Tell me if this sounds like you. Seeing the best in even the worst people. Forgiving someone even when they are clearly in the wrong. These are not my definitions, by the way. I'm going back to the intent of the word. 
Knowing the difference between the letter of the law and the law itself. Let me tell you a story. A week ago, I was, actually it was more than a week ago, a couple weeks ago, I went golfing with Paul, one of our sound guys here, and we're out golfing, and I walk into this golf course. Um, it was Heather down, so I'm just going to say it. So I walk in to this golf course, and as soon as I walk in, by the way, I'm wearing Schlossinger golf shorts. Okay, that's like a golf brand, okay, and a very nice t-shirt, one of my favorites. It's a good-looking t-shirt, and I walk in there, and as soon as I walk in, the guy at the front desk starts going like this, okay? You, you can't golf here. I was like, my goodness. He said, you're not wearing a collared shirt. I said, I'm wearing golf shorts and a very nice t-shirt, and I said very many other pleasant things to this man. Then Paul and I walked out. I'm like, well, this is a problem. Then I walked back in. I said, sir, I think that was a bit contentious. I don't want to be contentious. I am sorry that I did not wear a polo shirt. Actually, the first thing I said was, would you prefer I go to Goodwill and buy a $1 polo with holes in it? That's what I first said. Okay. That was not the finer moment of the... Of the this little interaction. Then when I walked back in, I said, I'm sorry. I said, I would never wear anything that I would think would disrespect you or this golf course. I thought that this was a perfectly appropriate attire for $12 golf. He finally let me play. He was not very happy about it. We're like five holes into it, and I look over, and there's some dude wearing jeans and a bright orange beer t-shirt. And I was like, really? (laughs) Here's my point. In my opinion, I was living up to the spirit of the law, look appropriate on the golf course. It created a lot of tension. Now, let's bring this down to real life real quick couple statements for you. Wisdom is realizing that sometimes being absolutely right doesn't mean you're actually right. Wisdom is knowing when the relationship takes priority even over right behavior. How many religious people think they're wise because they know the law, but they're actually fools because they have no idea how to properly apply or instruct it? How many relationships, families, friendships, whatever, have been completely destroyed out of a lack of wisdom of how to apply the scripture? The fool follows his or her course of discipline, conversation, facts, without the flexibility of the live, living flesh in front of him or her. Wisdom is the art of properly applying good knowledge and understanding. Wisdom is the art of de-escalation. Wisdom is taking all of your strength, 
knowledge, power, and properly applying it as the context deserves. That's the wisdom from above. Wisdom was Christ Jesus ridding himself of selfish ambition and bitter jealousy. Not that he ever sinned, but he had every right to, not giving into it. Wisdom was Christ having the purity of heart to not condemn us when he should have, but instead giving us his life on the cross when we deserve death. Wisdom was Christ lying down his strength of character and taking on all of our sin so that we might wear his righteousness. Wisdom is Christ being flexible enough to follow the Father's plan, even when it meant that he, the innocent, was judged guilty and we, the guilty, are called blameless. Imagine had we taken our typical behavior to Jesus or as Jesus when he was arguing or praying to the Father. And most of us would handle the conversation that Jesus had with the Father in the garden like this. No, I know I'm right. I've never messed up. I am right. Make them pay for it. The wisdom was Jesus saying, even though I'm right, I'll go to the cross for them. So wisdom for us is learning how to do the same. Thanks for watching this video. If you want to learn more about our church, go ahead and click the link in the description or head on over to experienceredemption.com. Have a great week, guys.